Yvonne Quezon is a medical doctor and founder of the non-profit organization Spiritual Awakenings International. She's one of the world's leading experts on spiritually transformative experiences, an umbrella term that she herself coined. Under that umbrella are various phenomena such as near-death experiences, of which she's had five. After a powerful out-of-body and near-death experience in a plane crash in 1979, Yvonne went on a quest to understand spiritual and paranormal phenomena. She's written several books. The latest is titled Soul Lessons from the Light, How Spiritually Transformative Experiences Changed My Life. Check out the description for timestamps and other info, and please help us reach more people by liking and commenting on the video and sharing it around you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this with me, Yvonne. To start us off, could you please tell me a little bit about your background and about your your early worldview, I suppose? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, well, my name is Dr. Yvonne Quezon. I am a retired medical doctor. I used to be on faculty at the University of Toronto in Toronto, Canada, and mm -hmm. I was the first Canadian medical doctor to specialize my medical practice in the counseling and research of people having diverse types of spiritual and paranormal experiences. And how I got into that, which is a very, you know, unique specialty yeah. for a doctor is because of my own experiences that when I was in medical school, when I was uh, 23 years old, I started meditating because I took this course that was supposed to help you um, improve your study habits and study better and do better in our exams. Mm -hmm. But much to my surprise, shortly after I started meditating regularly, I had a powerful experience that I now know took me years to figure out was a Kundalini awakening. Right. And then a few years later, when I was a young doctor, I was on a medevac, a medical evacuation in a plane crash, and I had a plane crash. It was in an airplane, and we had a plane crash. And in the 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 course of this crash, where I almost died, I had what I now know was a profound near-death experience that totally changed the course of my life. So uh, these things, which I'll be happy to describe in more detail in a minute, but they're what prompted me eventually in 1990 to become the first Canadian medical doctor to specialize in counseling and researching people with spiritually transformative experiences. So this has been my passion for, for many years now, for over mm -hmm. 30 years. And I feel it's really important for me as a medical doctor and as a human being to be an advocate for experiencers because all too often people who've had these types of experiences are pathologized and they're labeled as crazy or it's a hallucination or even by their churches they're being told it's it's the work of the devil or and and um, I feel really called to stand up and say, no, these experiences are not crazy. They're not a sign of mental illness and they're not work of the devil. They're part of the spiritual awakening process that's mm. happening to many people on the planet today. So uh, I've written several books about this. I've given lots of podcasts, etc. But my most current activities in this area are um, that I am the president and founder of Spiritual Awakenings International. Mm. And this is an international organization trying to raise awareness um, online with our online events and online information and our YouTube channel about the whole spectrum of spiritually transformative experiences happening to people today. And um, I'm really delighted with how Spiritual Awakenings International has grown. We just yesterday hit 90 countries around the world that we have subscribers wow. of Spiritual Awakenings International. It's just 
amazing. And what it, it says to me is there are people all over the world going through spiritual awakenings who want to find a safe place to talk about what's happening to them because they're not finding it in their culture and their environment. And so we're happy to provide that. We also have Spiritual Awakeness International experiencers sharing circles that I host the first Saturday of every month. Mm -hmm. And yeah, people from around the world come and they share their experiences confidentially. So those that's what I'm up to nowadays as president of Spiritual Awakeness International. I also yeah. uh, founded a local group. I live in Toronto, Canada called Toronto Awakenings Sharing Group. And we have online meetings now. Before COVID, we met in person, but since COVID, mm -hmm. we've turned to online. And then the other thing I'm real happy to do is write books. So this is my most recent book. So when was that one published? <laughs> Which year? That was just uh, under one year ago, December 2022, just came yeah. out. So it's still a baby, still a newborn, Soul Lessons yeah. from the Light which is my memoir book. It's the story of my own spiritual awakening and all five of my near-death experiences, my kundalini awakening, other mystical experiences. And a couple years earlier in 2019, I released this book, Touched by the Light, which is a guide for experiencers of all kinds of STEs and also for their counselors and friends that um, are going through it. I, I give names to experiences. Like a lot of people told me they would read this book and they go, that experience, I didn't even know there was a name for that. It's called clairsentience or whatever experience they discover a name for in reading my book. So so that's what I'm up to. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm writing books. I'm president of Spiritual Awakenings International and um, I'm an advocate for experiencers. Yeah, absolutely. Helping people deal with these experiences and process them. Do you think there's more people having or going through kind of spiritually transformative experiences and spiritual awakenings right now than there ever has been? Or is it just kind of, is there, is there nothing standing out about right now? Would you, again, it's hard to say because <laughs> we haven't had organizations like Spiritual Awakenings International for very long. Um, so we don't have, you know, decades and decades of data to go back through and say, oh yeah, there's clearly way more people now. But it's just your gut feeling. Do you feel like there's something happening now? Yeah, different? yeah. I mean, you you put it exactly correct that we can't say for sure because we don't have data from the past, yeah. right? But in terms of my impression, in terms of my gut feeling, and also, according to yogic tradition and yogic philosophy, the answer to your question is yes, that mm -hmm. we're on what's called an up, upward yuga, <laughs> that, that is a, uh, raising consciousness is happening on the planet. We've come out of what's called Kali Yuga, the darkest stage in consciousness. And we're now in Dwarpara Yuga, which is slowly, 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 more and more people are having spiritual awakenings. That's according to yoga philosophy as Paramahansa Yogananda and his line of gurus taught it. Mm -hmm. um, my impression, just as a human being and as a yeah. medical doctor, is also congruent with that. And I think more people are having near-death experiences for sure and, and having spiritual awakenings from near-death experiences. And I think that has very much to do with advances in modern mm. medicine and modern yeah. technology, because more people are being rescued, more people are being resuscitated. I mean, our, our co-founder of Spiritual Awakenings International, Robert Ayer, he had died of a heart attack 
And he was gone for 45 minutes and they kept working on him, kept working on him, kept working on him with medical technology, he was in the emergency room. They brought him back. Now mm. that would not have been possible even 50 years ago. Right? No. So we've moved the sticks uh, of death a little bit, haven't we? Exactly. So I think that more people are having spiritual awakenings via near-death experiences today than they used to in the past. But I think there's another phenomenon happening, which is that way more people are learning about meditation mm -hmm. and are starting to meditate. And meditation, according to my research um, that I've done over the years, is the strongest trigger uh, in terms of way more people are having spiritual awakenings because they're having an experience because they're meditating yeah. than actually are having near-death experiences, according to my research. So, wow. and I mean, anyone can go online and learn about meditation. I mean, everyone's heard of it now because of our online world. Um, and so with so many more people becoming aware of meditation and starting to meditate, I think that's another factor why more people are having spiritual awakenings now than in the past. Yeah. And do you think it, there's probably other factors as well, which, you know, just combining to create this, this, this phenomenon, but do you think it's also maybe to do with the fact that people are feeling maybe very lonely and, and, you know, there's a lot of depression is a big thing right now. People are, there's trauma left, right and center. The, the, you know, our society and our world, our, our environment, everything is in chaos. Um, it's kind of dark times for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people struggle with it, which I think maybe then can push them towards maybe meditation or these kind of paths, or maybe they start or, seeking answers. There must be more to right. it than this. Yeah. Or, or, or just prayer, just real genuine heartfelt prayer, you know, asking the higher power, however they understand it to help them through this very difficult period. So, and, and, and heartfelt prayer is also a very, um, strong uh um, trigger for mm. spiritual awakening processes like people are finding their prayers get answered <laughs> you yeah. know i've heard many people say you know in desperation or at my darkest hour i just got down on my knees and prayed and then oh my goodness this force field of peace and love came upon me well that is the higher power answering and then that triggers a spiritual awakening absolutely yeah, I'm guessing that's not so much praying to um, a deity of any particular religion or because then I feel that's, like in that case, it would just make them more religious if, if their prayer it, got answered. It, you know? it, it could be. It could be. I mean, in my experiences of the higher power, and you have to remember, I've had five near-death experiences. We've not yet talked yeah. about any of them. But my experiences of the higher power were uh i'll start with the, the when i was in the plane crash near-death experience i i and um i went out of body and up into the, the what people talk about the white light realm that was filled with love and the intelligence of the higher power and while i was just basking in that love and experiencing just that profound unconditional love i i I knew things, not, not by somebody talking to me and speaking to me and explaining things, but it was just like my soul suddenly knew things and understood things. Like, you know, like I'd had a massive computer download and now I, well, like I understood all this stuff. Mm. And what, what I understood, what I knew 
was that the love that I was feeling was the, the profound, unconditional love of the higher power and what I had been raised to call God. And what I was experiencing God to be was not at all like what I had been taught God was supposedly like, like it was not a old man with a long white beard sitting on a throne, judging me if I'd been good and bad, which is what I'd been taught in my childhood religion. That was not what I was experiencing at all. What I was actually experiencing the higher power or what I call God to be was this universal force, like this incredibly intelligent universal force that is profound, unconditional love, infinitely intelligent, infinitely present. And that that universal force, what I was raised to call God, gets it. That, you know, we might call it different names. We might call it spirit. We might call it Allah. We might call it Brahman. We might call it Nirvana. We might call it, you know, it doesn't matter what name we call it. Higher power mm -hmm. gets it. You know that? That's all our ways of understanding. If we want to call it the magical tree in the forest, that could be the magical tree in the forest. Or the force. And the, or the force that the divine gets it and mm. um, loves each of us so profoundly and so unconditionally. Um, there's no judgment about like what name or what form we are striving to understand and, and love it by how, how I came to understand it from that perspective was it's like climbing a mountain like the Matterhorn behind you from a whole bunch of different angles right that when you're down at the bottom it may look very very different so this is like all the different religions down at the bottom mm -hmm. at our lowest awareness we feel like we're miles apart but as we start climbing the mountain towards realizing our our oneness with the higher power we get closer and closer to the top and then we realize we're not so different after all we were just approaching the top from a different angle yeah. so yeah. that was the understanding that i got um when i was on the other side and it made me much more tolerant of people with diverse religious and spiritual views because i got, and even if we don't believe in a higher power even if we're atheists Kyra loves us just the same. It doesn't matter, you know that we're, that we are we are all loved. Yeah, and do you, so you don't really think of it as like a god necessarily, like an entity for you. It could be maybe some kind of naturalistic force or you know divine force or just love, essentially consciousness. Do you kind of go further in terms of labeling it? I mean, everybody has to find the way that works for them and their heart in terms of relating to the higher power. To me, how I actually experienced the higher power was um, infinite and formless, but at the same time can manifest in form if we need it, you know, at a particular time, can manifest yeah. to us as an angel, can manifest to us as a saint, can manifest us to us as a talking tree in the forest when we need guidance, I mean, can manifest to us in whatever way we need because the the higher power is, is infinite. So mm -hmm. there isn't just one way to relate to the higher power. My own personal uh, relationship with the higher power, I, I call it Mother, Father, God. <laughs> Mother, Father, and God. Mother, Father, God. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it kind of says says it all, I guess, for you. Then, yeah, it's like a, everything all in one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you've had five NDEs, right? So yes, five hey, NDEs. It wasn't amazing. by my design. I look at <laughs> divine design, and I, I look know. at it as that the good Lord wanted to keep reminding me that this was the area that I was to focus on this lifetime, to be an advocate for people having these experiences. And in case yeah. you forgot, we're going to give you another one. It's like, whoa, okay, got it. <laughs> this is what my life work's supposed to be about. Okay, yeah, thank you, yeah. got the message. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't forget that one. Um, yeah, that's amazing, though, to have that many, like, so profound experiences. I want to kind of at least touch on all of them at some point. But I thought that the one that we could start with is one you've already mentioned is this. I think it was 1979, the plane crash. So obviously, it's kind of a fascinating story as is like being involved in a plane crash. So aside from the kind of spiritual side, I'd love it if you could kind of give a little bit of background to what was going on in your own life in a physical sense at that point, like where you were going, what you were doing, um, yeah, sure. what yeah. was going on in your yeah in your, in your mind, and yeah. then kind of the experience of the crash from a physical point of view, but then also obviously your experience uh, in, in however way you want to talk about that. Yeah, sure. No problem. Thank so you. So this happened to me, I was 23 years old and I had, sorry, 26 years old. 23 was when I had the Kundalini awakening. 26 was when I was in the plane crash and had the near-death experience. I was 26 years old. I was a young doctor. I had already graduated medical school and I was doing my residency training. I was doing my specialty training as a family doctor at the University of Toronto. And I was assigned for one month to work in Northern Ontario with some of the native Indian communities as part of my training. And on this particular day, I was assigned by my supervising doctors to go on a medevac or a medical evacuation on a small in a small airplane with a critically ill native Indian woman. We, I, we were going to ferry her by airplane from where we were, which was a small community called Sioux Lookout to um, Winnipeg, where we were to land and transport her to a hospital so she could go into the intensive care unit for her particular serious medical problems. So, um, you know, the plane that we went in was not one of these modern day helicopters. This was 1979. So it was a little quin engine propeller plane with two propellers called a Piper Aztec in case somebody mm. wants to look up the airplane. And it's a tiny, it's a tiny little plane, tiny little plane. The pilot was in the pilot seat. We had the oxygen tank in the co-pilot seat. I was in the seat behind the co-pilot seat the nurse was in the seat behind me. They'd taken out the two seats behind the pilot, and that's where the stretcher of the patient was. And then it was the back of the plane. That's how small the plane was. Wow, so it was yeah. a tiny little plane. So um, the plane took off, and we were flying to Winnipeg, and it should have been about an hour flight from where we were to Winnipeg. But unfortunately, this was Canada in the winter. <laughs> we flew into a winter storm and um, both of the engines, first one, then the other, stopped functioning. And um, they later on, they did an inquest and everything and they figure, you know, that the ice formed somehow on the, the engine inner parts and that's why the engines malfunctioned. Mm -hmm. But 
Anyway, so we're flying, you know, and first one engine stops. And when then did the you get wind of that? Sorry to interrupt you, but when did you get, when did you realize like the engines were having problems? Did the pilot no. keep you informed all the way or did it kind of. <laughs> this is a tiny little plane. I'm like, you know, six feet from one end propeller engine and 10 feet from the other. So you can hear and, <laughs> and, and you can hear them. If you've ever been in a propeller plane, they're really, really noisy, right? Yeah. So. I could immediately hear when one engine stopped because it stopped making that roaring noise. And I looked up and I could see this, the, the propeller, instead of going fast, it was going, it was coming to a stop. And then suddenly the sound of the other engine, I mean, I have more details than I put it in my book, but I'm giving you the key points here. Which book is this one in? There, it's actually in both books, but okay. uh, I, I write about it in the first chapter in both books. And, and that, um, then I look up and I see that the other engine is also coming to a stop. And there's the pilot. I look up at the pilot because, again, I'm like two feet from the pilot. And he's pulling things and pushing things and pressing buttons. I mean, you can tell he's trying to restart the engine and steer the engine, this plane. Anyway, I later found out from the pilot that what he had done was he had raised the, the wheels up. And so he was trying to do a belly landing rather than crashing into the, the forested areas all around us. He was trying to get us steered over a, a semi-frozen lake to try and do a belly landing on the ice to prevent us from being killed by clashing into the trees, which was really quite heroic. Um, but from where I sat, you know, all of a sudden we have no engines. The, the plane's going down. And if you ever wondered what it's like when a plane's crashing, it's like the worst turbulence you've ever experienced. Mm. The plane was just rocking like crazy. And we were in a storm with a strong wind. And my immediate reaction was intense fear and panic. I mean, like just intense fear yeah. and panic. And it just... Um, jumped out of my heart, like the, I didn't say it out loud, but the thought just jumped out of my heart, like, oh God, I'm going to die. And that, that was just intense fear and panic. And when I look back now, it, I think it was like that was close enough to a prayer mm. that that is actually when my near death experience started. It actually started before. The plane crashed as we were yeah. going down close enough to a prayer but also i would imagine due to all the fear and the intensity you'd also be kind of almost in an altered state like not in your normal you know state of consciousness well, there right intense fear and panic is not my normal state of consciousness <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. and all of a sudden after that oh god help i'm gonna die all of a sudden this force field of peace started descending upon me of teeth. and it, it pushed up of peace Peace, peace, sorry. peace and calm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And pushing away all of my fear, pushing down all my fear. And I was no longer afraid. And I felt wow. incredibly calm. Meanwhile, it's still turbulence. You're still oh, going yeah. down. Nothing oh, has materially yeah. changed. Yeah. And then I heard this clear inner voice. And I'd never heard inner voices before this. And it was a masculine voice. And the voice said, be still and know that I am God. I am with you now and always. And with those words, 
this sort of divine force field of peace got even stronger around me. Like I just felt incredibly calm and unafraid. Mm. Plane hadn't crashed yet. We were still on the way down. I then turned. I mean, I was wide awake, fully conscious. I turned and I started comforting the patient. You know, she'd regained consciousness and she was looking at me with really scared eyes. And somehow I knew in my soul that we would be okay whether we lived or died in this plane crash. So I started comforting her and saying, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay. And I really meant it. I felt it in my heart and soul. Anyway, the pilot really heroically managed to avoid crashing in the trees. And he he did manage to do this belly landing on the ice. And we were just skidding across the surface of the ice. And we would have been okay if the ice was thick enough to support mm. our weight. But it was not. And when the plane finally came to the stop, it to a stop, the weight of the plane really quickly broke the ice. The plane nosedived and it sank into very, very deep water. So we had to very, very quickly get out of the plane while it was sinking. And the nurse, the pilot and I, we did our best to get the patient out, but we could not get her out. And so unfortunately, she went down with the plane. And then there I was in the middle of winter, in a storm, in a semi-frozen lake, I'm wearing my heavy winter clothes, you know, uh, heavy winter parka, heavy winter boots. I'm in the water. They're pulling me down like lead weights. And the voice in my head says, swim to shore. Now, where we've gone down, we've gone down in a place that is actually called Devil's Gap. <laughs> and it's called Devil's Gap on Lake of the Woods by Kenora because of the strong current that's there. So there was a very strong current right there in the lake. And because of the strong current, it's hazardous both in the winter and the summer. And the ice doesn't freeze there in the winter. And I would have to swim like 200 yards of the Devil's Gap to get to the closest land. And I remember, and the pilot was shouting, try to get on the ice, try to get on the ice. But the ice was way too thin. It couldn't support our weight. And I remember when this voice said swim to shore that, I mean, I was inexperienced <laughs> and higher guidance argued with this voice. I mentally argued with this voice. I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to swim to shore. I took lifeguarding when I was a kid and they said not to try to swim to shore with a boating accident. You'll drown on the way to shore. So I ignored the voice and I tried to get on the ice, which, of course, didn't work. The voice repeated swim to shore. And then the third time the voice said, swim to shore, I finally surrendered to that higher guidance and I started swimming to shore. And I shouted to the other two, we have to swim to shore. The ice is too thin. Now, it was a really long and a really difficult swim. To this day, people tell me it was a miracle that I was able to swim that distance, you know, have, with heavy clothes dragging me down and everything. And I think it was a miracle. Anyway, I went down under a couple times in the process of swimming to shore, you know, underwater. And then I just would kick and kick and kick and kick with all of my might to try and get my mouth above water again to try and get a gasp of air. And then I would, I would, you know, saw stroke by stroke, trying to get a little closer to, to shore with the current carrying me and the wind chopping the waves. It was really, really treacherous and difficult. Anyway, part way to swimming to shore, 
is when my near-death experience deepened, when it changed. All of a sudden, I heard this roaring noise, like a roar of a waterfall. And suddenly, I found my consciousness or my point of perception, maybe 20 or 30 feet above my body. But it wasn't that straightforward because my body was still alive and it was still swimming to shore. So actually, my consciousness was two places at the yeah. same time. And and I compare it to a split screen TV, you know, where you have a big image and then a little tiny image in the corner. So the big image, which was most of my consciousness, was now up above my body. But the little image in the corner, a little bit of my consciousness, was still in that physical body that was desperately trying to swim to shore. And where I went to, I rose then higher. Most of my consciousness rose higher. And that is when I came into this incredible place, realm. It's hard to know what words to call it, but mm -hmm. was filled with love, profound, intense, unconditional love. And it was also filled with light. It was a, a white sparkly light sort of like what one sees if you're going up in an airplane and you're at the top of the clouds right before you break up into the sunlit sky above and it's all sparkly and glistening white around you that was sort of like what it was like when i was in the white light realm that type of beautiful white light mm -hmm. now uh i did see a face of light just for a second when i first got there but then it faded into this cloud-like periphery and then I just basked there, absorbing this incredible love. It's incredible, incredible, unconditional love. I felt like I was home. And as I mentioned earlier, I instantly recognized, my soul instantly knew that what I was experiencing was the love of our higher power for what I had been raised to call God. And it, it was not at all like what I had been taught God was supposedly like. It was not a man on a throne judging me if I'd been good or bad. It was no, it was a force field of love that was interpenetrating me, interpenetrating, interpenetrating all of creation, all of past, present, future, was infinitely intelligent, infinitely loving. And I, I understood when I was in this realm of light that what I think of as me would live on, mm. whether my body lived or died in the scenario that was happening down below. And also, uh, it, so it really didn't matter to me whether my physical body lived or died. And I remember sort of looking down and looking at what's happening at the body and feeling very, very detached. And it was sort of like um, the feeling, if you're watching the end of a TV show that you're not very interested in, but you just want to see how they made the plot in. It's like, okay, let's see what happens down here, whether she's going to live or whether she's going to die. Because I was home. Wow. I was yeah. completely happy. I was completely in joy, in bliss and peace. And it looked like um, I, the, the physical part of me was not going to be able to make it, that, that I was not going to be able to survive that particular day. 
And I remember I was about, oh, 20 feet or so from the closest shore when I was just exhausted. My physical body was just exhausted and I could swim no further. And it felt as if the split screen shifted at that time. So the little bit was in the light and most of my consciousness was now suddenly back in my body. So I'm back in my body and um, with part of me up there in the light. And I remember looking towards shore and I was about to go under for the third time. It's amazing what you'll think in these situations. What, what I remember clearly thinking was, oh, it is true. You do drown the third time you go down. <laughs> yeah. That's what I thought. And so, but I was in complete bliss, complete trust, complete joy, complete love of the higher power. I just surrendered to go under for the third time and, you know, make my transition completely to the other side. When all of a sudden through my physical eyes, I could see that the current was carrying me very, very rapidly to the right. And where the current was carrying me, there was a tall pine tree that had uh, um, died and fallen into the water and was protruding into the water. And that actually the current was carrying me towards the top of this pine tree. And in this paranormal state of consciousness that I was in, it actually looked to me as if there was an etheric hand of light superimposed on that tree reaching out to me so that all I would have to do is swim two, one or two more strokes and I would hit that tree that had the hand of light on it. And so somehow through the grace of God, my, my physical body had the strength. I swam those last stroke or two and boom, the, the current carried me to that tree. And I remember that when my hand touched the tree, I had no physical sensation at all because I had such severe frostbite already in my hands. I could feel absolutely nothing. Anyway, I managed to pull myself along this tree up onto the shore and uh, climb onto the shore. And then I shouted out to the other two, swim to shore, swim to shore, you can make it. And then I just sort of crouched instinctively in a crouch position with my hands in my armpits to try and keep them warm and um, huddled there. And then my consciousness started floating further and further away. Now, it's quite an incredible story what happened. So I'm going to just take a few minutes and tell you about the rescue because it's really quite phenomenal. Yeah. I was freezing to death, <laughs> you know, and I would have died of hypothermia fairly quickly if I was not rescued fairly quickly. The pilot, he managed to swim to shore. He, he heard me shout to swim to shore. He managed to swim to shore. So the two of us were on shore. And then the nurse, however, I later found out, couldn't swim. <laughs> but she had managed to find a piece of ice that had some wood floating in it. So it was enough that she clung onto that. It kept her afloat. And then she lost consciousness. So she was unconscious, stuck with this piece of ice in the water. Now, we're in the winter storm in Canada. In northern Canada, we swam to an island. There was no way to get to us by road because we were on an island. You couldn't get to us by ski-doo because of the open water next to the island. Yeah. So the only way, our boat, because most of the lake was frozen, the only way you could get to us was if somebody had a helicopter. And normally there's no helicopter anywhere close to this area, but by coincidence, if you believe in coincidence, I call it divine coincidence or divine synchronicity. 
divinely orchestrated a coincidence that day at that moment the helicopter that had been flying from somewhere in another province over to quebec another province it ran into the same storm that we did and so it landed mid-route five miles from where we crashed really? at a ministry of natural resources base and the pilot um I had just met another pilot who'd also been grounded. They had their emergency, I guess the emergency radio frequency is always on. Now, when we crashed, the pilot of my plane sent out an emergency mayday message, you know, that, that we crashed, blah, blah, blah. But because of the terrain and because of the storm and it was all hilly around the lake where we were, nobody would pick up this message unless there was a plane virtually directly overhead again. By divine coincidence, there was a plane almost directly overhead, a regularly scheduled Air Canada plane. It picked up our Mayday message. It relayed it back down to the ground. So these guys, the two pilots who just met because they were grounded by the storm that, that with the helicopter, they got the message relayed. And they also got our almost exact location. So then they headed out in the storm, not worrying about their own lives which they put at risk to rescue us to look for us in the storm and they i've spoken with these pilots afterwards of course uh but they said they were looking for wreckage because they figured you know around there either we crashed into the trees and there'd be wreckage mm -hmm. or we crashed onto a frozen lake so there'd be plane wreckage on the lake so they were looking for wreckage and they couldn't find any wreckage and of course, there was no wreckage because we crashed at the one spot where the ice isn't and the plane had sunk. And so they 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 then thought, well, you know, could, could they have gone down in that one little spot where there's open water? And they came back and then first they saw the the, the nurse in the water and risking their lives, they managed to pull her out of the water and fly her to the closest hospital. They hadn't seen me and the pilot and land and so we were there freezing to death on land and i remember my my almost frozen to death body saying to the pilot do you think they saw us do you think they'll come back and he just sort of went i don't know i sure hope so and anyway they had not seen us but they did come back to look if there were any other survivors and then they saw us on shore but then there's like where are they going to land they can't land on the forested land. They can't land on the open water. We were certainly not going to swim out to the helicopter. <laughs> so, you know, where are they going to land? So again, through divine grace or divine coincidence, there was uh, like an inlet or a tiny little bay just down a little bit on the island. And the current went across the mouth of the bay, but there was still ice on the bay itself. But it was a tiny bay. So they landed the helicopter there. And the bay was so small that the struts at the bottom of the helicopter, they were on ice. But at the back, there was a little prop at the back of the helicopter that was over open water and was churning up the water. So and they they gestured to us that we should walk over there. Well, I, I could I couldn't walk. And the pilot, he managed um, that the pilot from the plane plane crash, he managed to sort of make his way there. But I just couldn't. I was too frozen. I was too far gone. And so one of the, the pilots from the helicopter, the one sitting in the co-pilot seat, he actually got out, walked across the ice. I later found out he couldn't swim. 
He didn't know how thick that ice was. He risked his life. He walked across that little bit of ice and over this sort of hill to come to where I was. And he sort of like half dragged me <laughs> into the helicopter and brought me into the helicopter. And then they flew with us to the closest hospital, which was in Kenora. And I remember watching from above. So I'm floating above my body watching, you know, we land on the hot, the helicopter on the hospital driveway, the emergency staff, they wheel out their stretchers, they put me on a stretcher, wheel me into the emergency department. And I remember watching as a nurse tried to take my temperature. Now she was using a standard mercury thermometer. <laughs> and I remember her looking at it, wondering why she was not getting a temperature reading. And that was because my body temperature was lower than the lowest temperature on her standard thermometer. Yeah. And then, then I remember hearing a voice say, boy, could I use a hot bath. And I was amazed to discover that that had come out of my physical body's mouth because oh, I right. had not been thinking that or planning. Like, I don't know what angel spoke through my mouth. But anyway, that was exactly what we needed. We needed to be reheated because I was dying of hypothermia. And um, then the nurse says, hey, maybe that'll help them. Let's take them to the physiotherapy department. And they wheeled us down. They put my body in the hot water of the Whirlpool bath in the physiotherapy department. And it's in that hot water when my body was being reheated that my consciousness re-entered my body. And what that felt like was like how they depict the genie being sucked into a bottle. It's like I was in this big space up above and then I was abruptly sucked down into the small confines of my physical body. And I remember when I, I came back, I was like in the whirlpool bath and I started rubbing my frozen hands against my legs. And I kept saying, I'm back, I'm going to live, I'm going to live. And then I was back. Wow. And uh, that experience changed my life. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, yeah, wow. Uh, that's I don't even you know there's not many words to to respond to an experience like that like the the plane crash the the nearly drowning the nearly having hypothermia you know losing the the patient that you were with and and then this rescue and wow that's uh that's unbelievable thank you for sharing it in so much detail I really really appreciate it do you know the other people that you were with did you did you tell them about your experience yes uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I was off work for two months or a month or two, I can't recall exactly now, after the plane crash to recover from my frostbite. I had severe frostbite of my fingers. And um, and within that time period, um, the, the pilots that rescued us were um, awarded medals uh and commemorated for their courage and so that's yeah. when i got to meet them again because the day that they rescued us they just sort of brought us to the hospital and flew off again <laughs> and and i remember when i met them uh bob grant and brian clegg are their names uh it was like tears just were streaming through my face and how can i thank you for saving my life yeah. um and i'm still in touch with one of them actually with both of them and the pilot of the plane that crashed, uh, Jerry Krushensky, um, I'm also still in contact with him. And unfortunately, the nurse who was in the plane with us, she has now passed away. But I'm the only one of the crew that had a near-death experience that, right, we're, okay. that we're aware of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But 
But the experience, I want to tell you a bit about how it changed me because it it impacted me very, very profoundly. I mean, I was a young doctor at the time. And, and when I returned to work, I spoke with my doctor friends and because I didn't even have a word. I didn't even have a vocabulary to call this experience. It was so powerful and so positive, And it changed me in such a spiritual way. I mean, I completely lost my fear of death. I completely knew we all live on after we die. And I completely knew that the higher power loves all of us, every race, sex, creed, whatever, we're all loved. Um, and when I started talking to my doctor friends, everyone listened, everybody knew I wasn't like crazy. So but they came up with a hallucination theory that all my doctor friends labeled it as some sort of hallucination that it happened to me. Oh, they said because of a low blood sugar and electrolyte imbalance and just did not resonate with me. Like, absolutely. No, I've seen lots of people with low blood uh, sugars and electrolyte imbalances, and they don't describe experiences like this life changing, yeah. positive, transformative. And, the first word I found that actually resonated with me is one of my medical colleagues who was a very devout Christian, actually. He's now passed away. But at the time, he said, you know, Vaughn, I think you've had a mystical experience. Mm. And then as soon as he said that, it was ding, ding, ding. <laughs> the lights came on. <laughs> yes, that's a word that validates what happened to me. So for many years, I would say for almost 10 years, I called what happened to me in the plane crash, my mystical experience that happened in the plane crash. Um, I unfortunately had spoken to somebody, you know, within a year after the crash to ask whether or not they thought it might be a near death experience. And I remember that person said to me, well, did you see a tunnel with a light at the end? And I went, no. <laughs> and then he says, were you fully clinically dead at any time? And I went, I don't think so. And then he said, well, then it's not a near-death experience. I went, oh, okay, not a near-death experience. Well, okay, I guess it was a mystical experience. So, but with my research and talking with many others over the years, I've now come to understand that you don't have to be clinically dead to have a near-death experience. They happen to people who are facing death or close to death or fearing imminent death and trauma. Yeah. Like with mine, it could be fearing, right? It doesn't have yeah, to be, be even fearing. a physical yes. sense. It can exactly. like a climber tumbling down a mountain or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And mine started when I when we were going down. When yeah. I was in fear, yeah, that's, that's when right. it started. Yeah. yeah. So I now know. Yeah, it was a near death experience, and which is a mystical experience and yeah. out of body experiences that happens when you're all of the above. Yeah, yeah, all of the above. Yeah, mystical experience, spiritually transformative experience, near death experience, spiritual experience, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah out of body right. experience. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing too, I want to mention to you, is that its transformative effect mm -hmm. kept going. In right. that, um, maybe within two months of me having this near death experience, it might have been a month. I'm not sure of the exact time frame anymore. I had my first clairvoyant. Vision. Mm. My, so How I had long a after did you say awakening. it was? 
it was maybe between a month or two. I'm not exactly right. sure of the date. Um, I was I was about a month or two after the near death experience. I was driving here in Toronto in my car, going to visit a friend. I was stopped at a red light at an intersection, and all of a sudden, in my mind's eye, I get this clear visual image of my friend's brain covered in pus. And to me, as a medical doctor, it was really clear. It symbolized meningitis. How I knew that, I don't know, but I did. And how I knew it was my friend's brain, I don't know. Somehow I did. Yeah. Anyway, I, I arrived at my friend's house and I was sort of sheepish about sharing what I'd seen. But lo and behold, later on that day, she was admitted to the hospital, diagnosed with acute meningitis and fortunately successfully treated. So that wow. was my first clairvoyant experience. I now call it my psychic awakening, but I started having more clairvoyant experiences after that. Then it's clairsentience, where you can sense the feelings of others, clairaudience, inner guidance, later on past life, recall started happening. So it's like a door in my consciousness opened with the near-death experience that did not shut all the way. And mm -hmm. then other sorts of spiritually transformative experiences started happening to me after that plane crash near-death experience. Yeah. Wow. How often do you still have these psychic experiences? And if, if you oh, like yes. calling them that, how often do you have these, yeah, these experiences? Every day. Oh, really? Yeah. That, that many people, and I'm one of them, find that um, after they've had a very, very powerful spiritual awakening, where any type of spiritually transformative experience, a powerful one, whether it's a kundalini awakening or a mystical experience or near-death experience or, you know, psychic awakening of some sort. Some people mm -hmm. have an awakening with past life recall, for example, which is a type of, of, of spiritual experience, a psychic experience. That it's an awakening. It's a beginning. <laughs> So it's the first of experience of more experiences. And sometimes people would first have more STEs or spiritually transformative experiences of the same type, you know, like say past life recall, then you'll get more past life recall. Da, 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 da. But then what happens with many people is you find yourself opening to other types of spiritually transformative experiences. And that is what happened with me. So um, you know, now I realized started in my childhood, I had two near death experiences in my childhood, and then I had out of body experiences, then I saw had medium mystic experiences where I saw spirits when I was a child. And then after my, then I had a kundalini awakening with a mystical experience when I was 23. And then when I was 26, this near death experience in the plane crash. And then after that, clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, past life recall. And yeah. I'm not alone in this. Uh, this is what's happening to other people. They become what I call multiple STE experiencers so that they're experiencing multiple types of spiritually transformative experiences. And with many people, particularly if they're working on their spiritual development, um, which I have been doing <laughs> uh, since the 70s, um, through meditation and trying to have right attitude and trying to lead a moral and ethical life to, to mm -hmm. focus on your personal and spiritual growth and development. 
that all of this will stimulate, according to yoga, it's understood, yoga and Buddhism, all of this will stimulate the spiritual energies within you to keep opening your consciousness, to keep opening your energy system so that you find yourself, um, as I found myself, this is now a part of my life on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, and I'm, you know, I just call myself a highly intuitive person and, yeah, um, that sort lightly. of wraps it all up. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so I've got so many questions. They're just like, my head is filling up and I'm losing some of them and new ones are coming in. Um, the, so the, the experience with the meningitis and, and the, you know, the Claire, Claire remote viewing kind of thing that clairvoyance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, essentially that's a, a big, you know, that's a big thing. It's a very important moment that you, you, was helpful. It was useful. It was practical. Do you also have kind of daily mundane experiences of like, oh, somebody's going to walk in a room and, and they're going to yes. have milk in their hand or, you know, just, just random useless kind of uh, premonitions well, I, and things I, like that? I, I wouldn't call it useless premonitions. How I've come to understand it. It sounded it. harsh. I didn't. I, yeah. yeah <laughs> mundane. I'll go back to mundane. Yeah, how I've come to understand it is, um, you know, because I've had two more near-death experiences since then, including the big one in 2003 when I was dead for a period of time. And I came back disabled for 12 years and then had a miraculous healing in 2016. So we'll have to get to that story. Because yeah, yeah, we'll all of these, all of these have impacted me. So you're, you're asking me how I am now, but I've had many, 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 many years of experiences since that plane crash. Yeah. And my life has been, um, I'm very, very, very committed to my spiritual path. Um, that when I died in 2003, when I had my head injury, a traumatic brain injury, brain hemorrhage and died, um, I was given the choice whether or not to come back. Mm to this form wow. and um i was at such a state i was in the white light realm on the other side again and i had been shown all of my past lives and which was a very very powerful and beautiful experience it was it was an aha moment of yeah. finally remembering who I was so finally knowing who I was like this is my soul's journey over many many incarnations and um so for many incarnations I have strived to serve the divine in whatever small way the divine places me on the planet. And um, that service is a huge, huge part of my soul purpose, in my soul's purpose. Yeah. And when I was um, given the choice whether to reincarnate as a baby, to further serve the divine, and or to come back to the injured form to serve the divine, notice the word service was in there yeah so and uh i asked to do the higher choice whatever was god's will whatever was the higher choice and i was told well it'll be more difficult but to go back to the injured body yeah. and immediately my heart accepted i accept and 
faster than the speed of sound, I'm back in my body, but I'm disabled with a traumatic brain injury that um, did not allow me to practice medicine anymore, to write books, to give public talks, none of that. And so um, I came to understand that how I could serve then was through my prayer and meditation. And so I took my prayer and meditation life very, very seriously. It took me years to regain my ability to meditate because I lost that in the brain injury. And now you would ask me about my intuition and mundane things. That when I was disabled with traumatic brain injury for 12 years, my brain was still working, but it was like it had slowed down a lot. You know, it's like the, the cogs of my computer had molasses in it. <laughs> We'd finally get to the right answer, but it would take me a day. Whereas my intuition would know instantly. Right. And wow. so I, I came to rely on my intuition a lot more during that time when I had traumatic brain injury. And I think my intuition got even stronger during that time that I was disabled with traumatic brain injury. And as I mentioned briefly, and we can go into the story in detail if, more if you want, but I had a miraculous healing in 2016. Miraculous. Let's do it now. Let's 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 go into that story. Before I do, one last question about the the plane. So after that experience you you know you're, you're back home you're warm different clothes it's it's another day were you terrified of flying again or did you somehow find peace with that interestingly enough two days after the plane crash i was supposed two to go days. back to, to toronto and i had two possible routes going i was supposed to fly in you know a commercial plane or they said, well, if you really can't do it, we'll send you by train. And um, and it was like this little part in my soul said, no, I am mm. not going to be afraid of flying. I want to go by plane. And so um, wow. I'm in the plane. And I remember I was just shaking like a leaf. Even though I'd had the near-death experience, somehow my body, I guess it's just an automatic response or something. My body yeah. memory, I was shaking like a leaf. There was a lady sitting beside me. And I said, could I hold your hand? And so she goes, <laughs> thank god and so i held her hand she was very comforting she's now don't you worry dear there are many people who are afraid of flying and then i turned to her well you know i was in a plane crash <laughs> what <laughs> but yeah no i took the bull by the horn and i flew two days later wow. and and that seems to have been it you know i fly yeah. all the time <laughs> well done that's powerful stuff to get back uh, to get back in the sky two days later so yeah well done um yeah let's go and talk about this experience then i suppose it's maybe it can be categorized by itself as an actual death experience as opposed to your other kind of near-death experiences um by the sounds of it but anyway please yeah t take it away yeah, in so as much let, detail let, as you like from wherever you want to start let me th this is my most recent near-death experience the one that happened november the 8th 2003 and this is the only one of my five near-death experiences where i was actually clinically dead for a period of mm -hmm. time the other ones i was like close to death or facing death right whereas this one, I was actually clinically dead for a period of time. Yeah. So I actually call it my death near death experience when I write about it in my books. That's the death near death experience versus my near death near death experiences. 
sounds a bit silly, but that's how I distinguish them because it definitely felt different and much more profound in many ways because I was clinically dead for a period of time. So the story of that is um, it happened November the 8th, 2003 in Niagara Falls by Niagara Falls, Canada. I had gone to Niagara Falls that day. Um, I like to meditate at the base of the falls because uh, they have like a viewing platform there because the roar of the water, the deep roar of the water um, reminds me of the inner roar of the ohm sound that one can sometimes hear when meditating, the inner sound of the ohm. And I found um, over the years, because I live a two-hour drive from Niagara Falls, I used to go there a few times a year, and I'd always like to meditate there at the base of the falls, um, that the, the roar of the ohm sound, that ohm sound helped me to go very deep, very quickly in my meditations if I would stand there and meditate at the base of the falls. So this particular evening I stood there at the base of the falls and I meditated standing holding the railing and I went really 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 deep and so deep that I entered a state of communion I entered a state of God communion where my consciousness was open and connected to the other side the white light realm whatever you want to call it and um in that state of union, eyes open or eyes closed, because it continued when my eyes was open, I saw a being of light, and that was a saint from my particular spiritual tradition. It was Mahavatar Babaji and his light body telepathically communicated to me, welcome home. And I felt such love and such joy. I knew I was home. This was what saints and mystics seek is this unitive consciousness and I it is possible for regular people like me and and I felt such joy because I didn't know how long this would last but I remember thinking if I've ever found my way home in my consciousness once I know I'll be able to find my way home again it is possible anyway I stayed in this incredibly beautiful state of ongoing unitive mystical communion. I went with a friend, we ate dinner at the restaurant overlooking the falls. And then when we were leaving, we went to take one last look at the falls. I slipped on black ice, fell straight back, hit my head on the rock cobblestone pavement, suffered a brain hemorrhage and a traumatic brain injury and died. And I started with what happened two hours earlier and that was going on when I died, because I now wonder if that might have been my end of life experience. Because, you know, it's been well described now how many people shortly before they die, they report communicating with loved ones or spirits from their tradition on the other side, like the veils are thin, that that's what happened to me before I died. But I had no idea that I was going to be dying that evening. So at the instant that I hit my head, there was just a split second of intense pain and then shh, pain was gone and my soul was being whisked high up out of my body by a force much greater than myself and, and rapidly, rapidly through a, a large, dark expanse of space. Some people might call it a tunnel. To me, it was like a large, dark expanse of space 
And I was being rushed up to like an opening of white, like a, a portal or doorway of white that was just radiating light. And there at the, the entrance or portal were two beings of light welcoming me. And they were two saints from my spiritual tradition, Paramahansa Yogananda and Mahavatar Babaji. And they telepathically communicated to me that I had died. And they telepathically welcomed me into the realm of light, into the afterlife. Wow. And I felt this incredible love as I entered the light, this incredible joy. It was celebration. It was like a graduation party or birthday party was being held in my honor and I'd arrived and all souls that loved me were there. And, and it, it was just incredibly beautiful and joyous and love-filled. And, and I remember as I was entering this, 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 this joyous realm of light, it was like I had a little, little devil on my shoulder. I know they had to pick the devil on my shoulder, little voice. I think my ego, you know, went, oh, here it comes. Here comes the life review. <laughs> I had I had oh, now done years and years of research into near-death experiences. And I knew that most people, when they actually physically die, get a life review, which is often not pleasant. And and I mean, I've tried to live a good life, but it's perfect. So I was not looking forward to my life review. And it was so beautiful what happened, because as soon as that thought came up, you know, oh, here comes my life review, that worry. The two saints, like they read my mind, they knew what I was thinking. And one of them glanced over at me and then with a glance, with a glance, blew that away and gave me this profound, beautiful understanding all at once with a glance and the understanding that was given to me that blew away that little pesky voice on my shoulder was don't worry about it because the love of the higher power is so profound and so unconditional it's like the love of a loving parent you know when they see their child is learning to walk and the child stumbles, the child falls, it might break something, skin its knees, bump its head, something like that. But the loving parent doesn't punish the child for these learning mistakes. The loving parent embraces the child with love and says, that's okay, try again. Mm -hmm. You'll do better next time. And that, that was the kind of love that I was being welcomed with on the other side. So my soul just relaxed and open and enjoyed the bliss and the love and the ecstasy on the other side. And then it's like my consciousness um, shifted. I don't really have the exact words to describe this. Very hard to describe what happens on the other side. But I feel like I sort of shifted into another state of awareness where it was not that I was seeing visual images like I had been at first, but now it was like my consciousness had vastly expanded in its capacity to take in information. It was like my consciousness had changed from a Pentium 4 to a Pentium 10,000, right? It's like I could, I could take in just vast amounts of information all at once. And so in this expansive state, I suddenly re-remembered all of my past lives. And it felt to me like 
Uh, like, how could I have forgotten? Of course. It was as if I always knew, but somehow that memory had been shut off. And now that memory was open. You know, someone put the right hard drive in my brain. And, and now, oh, of course, it's me. And, and so many things made sense to me with that awareness about my incarnation as Dr. Yvonne Quezon, that, you know, I had always felt my incarnation was a little bit odd or unusual because here am I, just this old doctor practicing medicine at Toronto, at the University of Toronto, but I'm having Kundalini awakening and five near-death experiences and every type of spiritually transformative experience in the book. And I'm writing the book about spiritually transformative experiences. You know, like it, 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 I didn't know why me, but from the perspective of remembering all of my past lives, it was like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. So because this was not my first lifetime having near-death experiences. This was not my first lifetime being a mystic. This was not my first lifetime having a Kundalini awakening. But this was something, it's like from a soul level, my soul already knew all this stuff. And it's like my personality in this lifetime was just catching up. Um, but from a soul level, my incarnation makes complete sense. Do you know how many past lives like that you did you see like how many you had or was there any awareness of that like a number or anything i was not given a specific number but i would say hundreds or thousands and mm -hmm. and going back thousands wow. of years yeah. and 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 in my current state of awareness i don't have the capacity to remember all of those but no. it, it's like if i need to remember something, uh, I call it the need to know basis, that on a need to know basis, when I need to be able to access it, just like your computer, you can't hold, you can't, you don't have the capacity to remember everything on your computer. But when you need to know it, you go to a particular file, you pull it out, and then, oh, yeah, that that's right. Uh, but that's sort of how my memory is with the past lives, now that I'm back in my physical form. But when I was on the other side, I was I was able to contain it. The other thing that was very fascinating when I was in that state of consciousness on the other side was that expanded state of consciousness was my perception of time was very, very different from yes. how we perceive time here on Earth. That I was aware of and completely understood and was able to embrace and understand that over there, it's like time coexists past present and future and time mm -hmm. can bend and time can loop things that i was also very aware of that how we experience time here incarnated in physical bodies is linear but it's not experienced linear on the other side and on the other side if i sort of shifted my attention to what we here on earth perceive as the past i would see the past. If I put my attention to what we here on earth perceive as the present, I would see the present. And if I shifted my attention to what we here on earth perceive as the future, I'd see the future. And this whole phenomenon of time bending and things happening simultaneously all made complete sense to me. It was, I, I compare it to 
Like how if you walk into a, a multiplex movie theater that maybe has 10 different movie theaters showing movies. And imagine that the same actor is in each of these 10 different movies. Now, if you're thinking really linear, you'd say, how is this possible? How can this actor be in 10 different movies at the same time? But we understand, okay, even though it looks to us like he's in 10 movies at the same time, that he actually enacted his experience of acting in that movie. That was the only movie he was acting in at that time while he was making that movie. So that's a little bit analogous to how I understood that we perceive things like we're just acting in one movie. Whereas on the other side, there's a whole bunch of movies going on. Yeah, and, yeah. and that time can bend. Like I, I call it timeless time that I was there because the passage of time is completely different or I would say almost irrelevant on the other side. But um, it felt to me that my soul was on the other side much, much, much longer mm -hmm. than yeah. my body here on earth was dead or unconscious. Yeah. And um, yeah. after a period of, of, of some timeless time, the yeah. two beings of light reappeared to me. Just to jump in, Yvonne, just for one yeah. second. That you, it's kind of beautiful that you just explained that because I had a question from one of my patrons that I was going to get to later on, hopefully, if we had time, from a guy called Jeremy, who asked, based on your understanding and experiences, how would you describe the concept of time? So I don't know if it's just a coincidence or, or what, but that's kind of beautiful that you, you went into detail on, on describing how you perceive time without me having to ask you that. Um, but yeah, back to where you were. So these two, these two beings. Entities. And I'm just going to elaborate on time and, and um, sure. that it's time and space are both completely different on the other side. And, mm. um, you know, so, because on the other side, there is no time and there is no space because time and space can both bend, mm -hmm. right, in contact that... Um, you know, for for example, let me give you an example. One of the stories that I talk about in this book is the powerful mystical experience that I had when I traveled to Israel in 2000. And um, I went to some of the Christian holy sites. And, um, uh, and one of them in particular, which is overlooking the Sea of Galilee, is a site that may or may not, said the tour guide, be where Jesus said uh, the Sermon on the Mount, that people contend that it may be, and others say, no, it's not the right spot. So who knows? It may or may not be where the Sermon on the Mount was, was said, which was mm -hmm. uh, Jesus's coming out sermon after he'd been, you know, his lost years, which many people believe he was in India. I believe he was when he first came back to Israel and started preaching. The Sermon on the Mount was his first sermon. Anyway, so I'm at this site and I have a profound, profound mystical experience where I'm feeling like um, this energy is like cleansing my soul and opening my heart and tears are streaming down my face and I'm getting the inner guidance to be more loving, be more open. And it's like I had a profound healing, opening, spiritual experience that day. And I said to myself oh this is the right spot <laughs> there's no question in my mind this is the right spot but part of that experience is i think i was there 2000 years ago and that i was actually you know like how 
time crosses is like I was not I was connecting to the energy of 2000 years ago wow. that I think I had a powerful healing experience there 2000 years ago and it was like a what do you want to call it an energetic portal cross time or something like that I, I don't even have names to describe <laughs> these things yeah but yeah. but but there's a real sense of that that you know and I had another very strong experience uh, at another site in Israel I'm not going to go into it right now but um but yeah, I've become aware of that, that that going to places where I'd had really um, uh, strong or significant past lives, that going to that location, it's like it opens up a portal in my consciousness and I start seeing things from that lifetime. Um, and, and so now how I'm understanding this at a much deeper level is that because on the other side, there's no time. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm on spot X and I'm there now, but I had a very powerful experience. We might think it was 500 years ago, but when I go to spot X, suddenly I'm remembering what happened 500 years ago. Like, you know, there is no time on the other side. So yeah. uh, just to, just to tease your guy with uh, who asked the uh, guy or gal who asked the question about time that uh, it's a very interesting phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Mysterious and, and fascinating. Thank you again for that. Um, but yeah, if you want to go back into your your, ex yeah, your experience, so I, your story, if you remember where yeah, you were. Yeah, I, rem I was saying that after a period of timeless time, so I have <laughs> yeah. no idea really, this time is so different <laughs> on the other side. It felt like a really long time, but what it is on the earth frame, who knows? Seconds um, out, yeah, who knows? yeah because yeah, time loops is that um all of a sudden the the two beings of light paramahansa yogananda and mahavatar babaji appeared to me again i could see them in their light bodies and then they telepathically uh said to me um you may now choose either to incarnate as a babe to further serve the divine mother and or to return to the maimed body. And interestingly enough, maimed is not a word in my common vocabulary. I had to look it up after I came back. It means disabled or with a disability. Mm -hmm. But I got the message. There was going to be something wrong yeah. with my body. <laughs> and most people, but, just to kind of jump in again, most people, when they have a similar experience, like a near-death experience, and they sometimes would get the option, most people are like, don't really want to go back, right? Or not necessarily <laughs> that they get the option, but they're like, oh, I don't want to go back. And they're like, no, you have to. That kind of thing is quite frequent, isn't it? So this yeah. is a uh, fascinating. Well, this was the were, first yeah, time that option. I got a choice. The other four right. I had, I would not get a choice. Pushed. I was just back, 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 <laughs> yeah. back. But this yeah. one, I was given the choice either to incarnate in the body of the baby or to return to the injured form. And I was in such an expansive state of mystical consciousness, mystical communion, feeling the love, feeling the joy, feeling the infinite wisdom of the divine plan, understanding on such a deep soul level, the wisdom of, 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 of all the intermeshing incarnation spirit has given me and, and um, understanding my soul purpose, S-O-U-L, soul, uh, which is to serve the divine. And um, I was in a complete state of trust, and a complete state of surrender and 
openness. My heart was just completely open. And so I was not shown any details of that I recall of either choice. Um, my heart just instantly responded, oh, masters, please guide me. What is the higher choice? I want to do God's will. And then so lovingly, I mean, how a thought can have that much exquisite love with it is hard to explain. But in, with exquisite love, the thought returned to me. It will be more difficult to return to the injured body. And then instantly, without a hesitation, my heart that was just wide open, you know, like a newborn babe that is just completely trusting, my soul said, I accept. And poof, it was between the word I and the word accept. Really? It was between those two thoughts. That, <gasps> with a gasp of air, I found myself lying on the ground, gasping my first breath of life back into my body that was laying on the oh. ground there at Niagara Falls. And it, and it felt like waking up in an ice cube because, you know, outside in winter in Canada, my body temperature had dropped, you know, when I died, lost consciousness, whatever happened there. I was told I was dead, so I'm assuming I was dead. And so, but for the first few minutes, and again, my sense of time was not back to earthly time yet, so I, I, I don't really know how long it was, but both, I could see both realms. It was like they were superimposed one upon each other, like a double image photograph. I could see the white light realm with my two gurus lovingly right there with me. And I could see our worldly realm at Niagara Falls as I was breathing life back into my body. And then slowly, the white light realm and my two gurus, they started fading from view, and getting smaller, 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 till it just became like a dot of light in my consciousness that is still there to this day. Thank you, God. Um, and then I was back. I was in my body, but I was disabled. I'd suffered a serious traumatic brain injury and a brain hemorrhage. And after this, I went to neuro rehab for seven years. <laughs> First, it was trying to be able to get back practicing medicine, doing the work that I was doing, which I loved, which was counseling people who had all sorts of STEs. I'd already written four books by that point, and I'd given tons and tons of talks. And I finally had to realize, well, that's the past now, that I guess that's a chapter that's closed. And now I'm a disabled person that loves and serves through my prayers and meditations. And, and and rehab after that got to strategies for living the best quality life possible as a disabled person with the disabilities that I had. And um, so I focused very much on my prayers and meditations. I would pray for people, meditate for people. It took me years to get back my ability to meditate because that was one of the things that I lost in the head injury. I'd say about eight years. It took to get what was back it my... that you were kind of relearning, would you say? Was it like, how would you? Describe that if you can. I know it's a hard thing. Well, maybe. It, it's a, it's very difficult to describe, but yeah. I had uh, a brain hemorrhage in the occiput in the back of my brain, which affected various things visually. Um, and then I had contra coup because the brain bounces back and forth within the skull when you hit your head. 
the front of my brain, my frontal lobes had uh, big lacerations, contusions. And that affects something that is called attention and concentration. Right. So, so even though I was still highly intelligent and my IQ was still off the score, my attention span was terrible. I mean, terrible short-term trouble having a shower in the morning because I couldn't remember which part I'd soaped and which part I hadn't soaped. Had I put the shampoo on? Had I not put the, you know, like, why is my hair so sticky? Oh, I never rinsed out my conditioner this morning. I mean, it's incredibly difficult to function in the world if you can't remember past three seconds. So, um, you know, it was very specific, yeah. the areas that I had deficits, but it was very disabling. And um, anyway, and I lost other uh, things, like I lost the ability to meditate, I lost the ability to use the computer keyboard, although I had written four books by that point on the computer. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, very specific things that um, uh, I, some improved with time, but very, very little. Um, so, so basically, um, I had to learn compensating strategies like how to use my intelligence to compensate for the fact that, you know, say I couldn't remember things in the short term. Right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, but a miracle happened that, you know, people might be wondering who watching your show. Oh, she was so disabled. How come she's on the show today? And she's just written two new books and she's president of spiritual Awakenings international. Well, <laughs> a miracle happened on February 24th, 2016. Only, I, yeah, like uh, nearly eight years, not even eight so, years ago. Well, no, no, not eight years ago. Yeah, not, not eight years ago. It will be eight years uh, in February. Um, so seven years ago, when I was meditating at the Self-Realization Fellowship Retreat in Encinitas, California, on a holy spot, a spot where Yoga, Paramahansa Yogananda used to sit and meditate and go into samadhi. And I'm very sensitive to holy vibrations because I'm still very intuitive. My intuition was not damaged at all by the head injury. In fact, <laughs> I think it was enhanced. So yeah. I'd love to go and meditate at powerful holy spots. So I was meditating there. Uh, in the, they have a retreat chapel built on that spot. So I was meditating in the retreat chapel. And all of a sudden, when I was meditating, I had this inner perception of an eruption of liquid light, like a fountain of light erupting in the center of my brain or a volcano erupting, whatever you want to call it, like liquid light flowing. And it was like the center of my brain, the lights came on where it had been in darkness for 12 years. And the, the subjective experience I had inwardly was like waking up. It was like, suddenly this part of my brain woke up with this eruption of light and I was healed. My brain was healed and I was given the strong inner message, pass on what you have learned because the hard drive of my computer had not been damaged, but you can imagine maybe the keyboard and the, and the, the screen were not working, but now suddenly they were working again. So the hard drive could chug out everything that had been locked in soft for these 12 years. So, um, yeah, I started writing prolifically, prolifically from that day. And I wrote these, these two books. These are my babies <laughs> that came out. Uh, First Touched by the Light and then Soul Lessons from the Light. These are the two books uh, that I wrote so far after my brain healing. And um, 
then I got the the download in 2019 from Spirit that in addition to writing books, I was to start a new online organization, Spiritual Awakenings International, which would further raise awareness around the world about the reality of spiritually transformative experiences, about the reality of spiritual awakenings, that this is not mental illness, this is not hallucinations, this is a very real awakening, much needed, very real awakening that's happening on the planet today. So that is what I've been doing now after my miraculous brain healing. Wow. So that healing, let's just talk a little bit more about that. So it was, you, you, went, you, you went in there and you'd already kind of started to be able to learn to meditate again a little bit by that point, right? You... Yeah. Oh, yes. I worked very hard at Re, at, at forcing myself to relearn how to meditate because meditation had been a really important part of my life. I mean, I started meditating when I was 23 and, and I loved it. It was like, um, if you ever saw those space shows with the Borg that has to plug themselves in to recharge, I felt a little <laughs> bit like that, that this is how I plug in to recharge myself spiritually is with my daily meditation. It was a hugely important part of my life. And it was you know, it was a huge loss to lose my ability to practice medicine when I had my head injury, but it was also a huge loss spiritually to lose my ability to meditate. So I, I worked very hard and it took me about eight years to get back my ability pretty much to that meditate. whole time. That was, you yeah. felt like you were just getting back to where you were, well, but I, you still, sorry. But by the time I had the healing, this was, I was 12 years after my meditation. Right. So okay. I, I had already been meditating regularly and i found myself i was able to increase my capacity so that i was able to have longer and longer meditations which mm -hmm. is very important in terms of spiritual deepening and you have to remember that i had come to accept that physically for whatever reason in the divine plan my brain injury was not going to be healed and that how i could serve now how i could serve humanity is through my prayers and meditation. So I took my prayer and meditation practice very seriously and yeah. put serious time and effort into it. But little did I know that brain research now says that meditation is one of the strongest stimulants to brain neuroplasticity, which is meaning making brains heal. So yeah. when I consulted a doctor afterwards, he said, I think all that meditation you did is what caused your brain healing. And I think, I think, Maybe it was a factor that made me receptive to the brain healing, but that eruption of light in the center of my brain, I think it was a gift from God and gurus, you know, ultimately it was a, a yeah. gift, that spiritual healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. From, from God, gurus, the universe, your, whoever, the light. Um, yeah. Uh, so, but again, so just to, I'm just trying to get in my mind, like what your condition was just before the healing. So you were still struggling with everyday you know, routine things and, and how was like showering, for example, that, that was well, under control I at had, that point? I had, I had, um, learned to compensate for, um, many of my challenges. Yeah. But what changed was all of a sudden really, really vital things that, um, I had lost came back. Like for example, the ability to multitask. Mm -hmm. I, I had lost that ability. I, I couldn't multitask anymore after the brain injury. I could do one thing 
And then I'd have to finish it, focus on the next thing. Da, da, da. Now I've got, I've got all sorts of projects going on, <laughs> organizing a conference, organizing monthly events, writing books, you know, doing the, my brain regained the ability to multitask. Similarly, the ability to concentrate uh, for long periods, which is very, very important um, for everything that we do, that that, that came back. And my... Um, inspired creativity that that when I write, when I, I write books, I go into sort of a, a state <laughs> where where I'm in an inspired state. I'm in an inspired state. And that had been completely gone. I didn't have that capacity. And then then I'll I'm back. Inspiration is back. So so these are just some of the examples of things that 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 they were just suddenly back yeah. after the brain healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that was like click of a finger, you know, so you come yes. out of your meditation and what's going through your mind. You, you must be like, like, well, I felt like a floodgate open because yeah. all of these ideas were pouring through my consciousness up for my next books. Right. So I went to my room and I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm, I'm writing in my notebook as fast as I can. But this was happening now every day, repeatedly every day I was getting all this. And I mean, this, this was new. This is it's like, wow. And, and I have to tell you, as a medical doctor, my, I remember thinking, gee, I wonder if I've gone manic, if this is a manic episode, it's going to stop. But, you know, it didn't stop. It was a healing. It was not a manic episode. It was a healing. And and I compare it to like being pregnant for 12 years and now the babies want to come out like this is birthing. <laughs> Suddenly, randomly. But... That's right. And like, come on, let us out. And so this was baby number one, and this was baby number two, and I've got two more babies that are in there when <laughs> the want to come out. <laughs> cool. Yeah, wow. That's 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 incredible. I mean, yeah, with all the experiences you've had, I imagine lots lots more babies could be could be yet to come. Um on the while we're on the subject of meditation, like maybe you can kind of talk a little bit more about about that and about maybe how people that are listening or watching maybe that are not very well versed in it beginners or somebody that hasn't even tried it how can we get the most out out of that how can we you know utilize that practice to aid benefit our lives in, in the biggest way possible well i do really recommend meditation so i'm really glad that you asked me this question i think meditation is really a, an, an incredibly important key to mm -hmm. um to our spiritual growth. And um, I'm glad that many people today are starting to do that. But we have to remember that um, you have to pay attention to body, mind, and spirit, every aspect. So having a healthy lifestyle, getting yourself off drugs, <laughs> things like that is also important. Um, mind, uh, having dealing with your psychological issues. If you have wounds from your childhood or traumas that need to be um, dealt with, you know, get into therapy, get into a 12 step group, get into something to deal with this because body, mind and spirit are all connected. Some people think, well, I'm only going to focus on spirit and then I can be out of balance physically and mentally. No, it doesn't work. I just want to mention, we have to look at all of this, that our spiritual and personal development, it's interconnected body mind and spirit so meditation is a key of the, the spiritual part of development and um, prayer and meditation sort of go hand in hand and 
I tell people and I write about in, in my book, Touched by the Light, that it's really important for people to find um, what fits for them and fits for their soul. And maybe what resonates for me and for my soul is not what resonates for you, Ben, or not for one of your listeners, that we all might find something a little bit different that resonates with our soul as far as a spiritual path. But mm-hmm. any spiritual path that is a positive one, and I would say it's a positive one if it is promoting love, if it is promoting kindness, if it is promoting tolerance, um, that, that would be signs that, yes, you've, uh, you've, you've twigged onto um, a healthy, positive spiritual path. And so it can be many, many different ones out there. And then similarly with meditation, there are many different types of meditation. And again, I talk about that in my book, Touched by the Light, some of the different types. Um, you know, and, and, and I explored over the course of my lifetime different types of meditation. And I recommend that to people too. Mm. You know, try, try different ones. Test it on yourself. <laughs> How do, how do you like it? Does it feel like a fit for you? Do you like this technique? Are you feeling peaceful? Are you feeling happy? Are you feeling um, spiritually nourished by this technique? And if you're not, then it's like, okay, let's try something else. Let's see what else is out there. I personally follow the Kriya Yoga technique. That's taught by Paramahansa Yogananda. Um, that's the, after trying many techniques, that is the technique that, that I have found resonates with my soul. Kriya Yoga, K-R-I-Y-A, Kriya Yoga. And it was taught by Paramahansa Yogananda, who's over my shoulder over there. I was going to ask you later who that was. Yeah. That's Paramahansa Yogananda. Yeah. And his organization is called Self-Realization Fellowship. But, um, yeah, that, that. Uh, I now realize I was a, a, a student of that particular path my last lifetime, which is why it resonates with me right again this lifetime and many lifetimes actually. But um, yeah, that that. Uh, but everybody has to find what resonates with your soul. Some people are more drawn to Buddhist paths. Some people maybe feel they want to do Christian meditation. Other feel they want to do Jewish meditation. You know. Th- it doesn't matter or non-denominational mindfulness yeah. meditation or breath meditation. It, it, it doesn't matter. But what's important is that whatever path you are following, that it is developing those spiritual virtues within you, uh, love, kindness, compassion, peace. Then, you know, you're, you're on a healthy path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that good advice. Um, I'm going to go just maybe with a couple more quick questions and then I guess we'll wrap it up. Um, hopefully we're going to be able to talk again sometime next year because we can go into your other near-death experiences and other spiritual and spiritually transformative experience, including your myst- mediumistic experience you mentioned. And I'm sure there's loads of others. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to get to those yeah, in, a, in another conversation next year. For now, Jeremy, I told you he was asking about time. He also wanted to know kind of based on your experiences and, and your knowledge, do you fear death i'll take that a step further i mean obviously we can see now you don't fear death but what do you think happens after we die and and what do you think like how do you think that kind of works in in your best way of you know 
looking at it and and f- thinking about it in the and the, what I'm getting at here is that of course we agree that death is not the end I can I can everything you've said that's abundantly clear but you've mentioned past lives you've mentioned you know the realm with the light and and x y and z so how do you think that works do, do you think everybody's well, going to get a choice is it going to be you know is it yeah. naturalistic what are your well, thoughts what 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 my my I'll tell you my personal experience I had a very very strong uh, visionary experience um recently mm-hmm. you know there are various wars happening in the world right now and unfortunately and uh praying for all of those all of a sudden um, this one night I had this very, very powerful mystical vision that I'm going to share. It answers your question, um, is that I saw um, a whole bunch of souls going up into the light, like a whole bunch of souls of people that were dying, going up into the light. And I could see them going up and light, going up and light, going up and light, wow. going up and light. But then I could also see that there were other souls that were not going into the light. And I saw these some souls that were sort of like going sideways into sort of like a stuck place. And, and you know, there are people who've written about this, about souls that are stuck and need help crossing over. But, but I was actually seeing this in my experience. And I was also feeling why they were stuck, that they were stuck because once they got out of their physical form, they were feeling guilt or shame. They were feeling guilt or shame, like they felt like they weren't worthy to go into the light. So it was actually their own guilt and shame that was keeping them sort of stuck. Um, they weren't ready. They they weren't ready. They they were they were they had their own issues that they weren't feeling ready to go in the light. Yeah. And then and then I saw some souls going a different place, sort of going into sort of a darkish place, and. And I also um, had a, a very strong understanding of why they were going to that sort of darkish place, which was because at their moment of death, they were filled with hate. Um, they were filled with hate and that that was sort of attracting them to this, this, ugh, this darkish place. And I mean, I, of course, always pray for all souls at all stages of their spiritual development. And, and I remember when I got this very, very powerful vision, I mean, I saw it so clearly and understood it so clearly. And I just prayed to the Lord and I said, please guide me, show me right attitude, help me to understand. And I got this really, really beautiful message that I could hear. And the message was, God's plan is perfect. God knows exactly what experiences every soul needs until finally every soul will find their way home. And that just gave me such great peace because all of them, the ones stuck at all the different levels, they're going to eventually find their way home too. And, and, and that's given me great peace. And, and that is how I understand it, that, that the divine knows what our souls need for our learning and growth and evolution until finally one day. It's a happy ending story. We're all eventually going to find our way home. That's yeah. what I've been shown. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that because that's, that's, as you say, that's kind of a peaceful thought to, to hear that because the idea of, yeah, being stuck or whatever, you know, being limited by our own 
mental you know whatever mental health or by our own opinions of ourselves and that kind of thing yeah that's kind of terrifying right the idea that we could be stuck somewhere just because of that because of maybe negative experiences we've had on earth have led us down a particular path but the idea that yeah it, eventually you know we'll all find the our way yeah. home yeah. as you say yeah that's yeah. that's very comforting um so first of all let's let's ask you a couple of questions from one of my patients called robert robert from singapore just to make this a bit more international um so i've got a couple here from robert so first one is i often hear talk from near-death experiences about a life's purpose yet these seem to be fairly opaque to the rest of us how might me how might we try to figure out our purpose and does it even make sense to try mm -hmm. that's a very interesting question is that um, some people get stuck on this point, you know, like there's one big life purpose, right? Whereas I, I tend to think that um, every day has its purpose, you know, that every day um, trying to do the best we can with whatever life tosses in front of us. And, um, you know, we're all part of this global family and we're having, you know, we're a big dysfunctional family. <laughs> very <laughs> lots of issues and there's yeah. only so much that we can do so um i think you know focus uh, i would say to your your um patron that um don't worry about your big life purpose and focus on trying to be a good kind loving person here, here and now right now today in whatever life situations put in front of you do something nice for someone today yeah yeah cool and i guess i'm kind of having something come into my mind based on something you said earlier you mentioned you were talking about soul experiences i think or soul's purpose and you specified s-o-u-l because obviously a soul purpose could also be mm -hmm. one yeah. singular yeah. purpose but i'm just yeah making me think of that so maybe for robert like rather than having a soul life's purpose we, we just got to think of it as like our soul you know our soul's journey our soul's purpose it's not yeah. an s-o-l-e purpose it's an s-o-u-l purpose Correct. you need to think about it from the love and and how can we help other people and, and yeah. how can we make this experience as, as good as it can be for as many people as possible mm -hmm. um yeah, yeah brilliant this i got another one from robert here as a physicist i figured that free will was basically illusory the things were either deterministic or random and there wasn't really any room for anything else we reached the decisions we make due to influences beyond our control the discovery of a separate consciousness and the need for new physics to account for it reopens that inquiry a bit, but the evidence for nonlinear time, clairvoyance, global consciousness still seem to support my original outlook quite well. Do you have any thoughts? And again, does it even matter? <laughs> yeah. I personally um, very strongly uh, think that we have free choice at every single moment. You know, when I told you that I perceive the past, present, and future, it's not like the future is cast in stone. The future has multiple possibilities, depending on the free choices that individuals make. And we have free choices all the time. But, you know, our free choice is limited by, um, you know, where we are at a particular time, according to how we perceive time here on Earth. But absolutely. I mean, for example, I got that very strong guidance in my plane crash near death experience to swim to shore. I had the free choice of listening to that guidance or not listening to that guidance. And I was inexperienced 
in spiritual matters at that time. So I didn't follow that guidance. Fortunately, it repeated three times, swim to shore. But, you know, if I had not followed that guidance, I probably would have drowned. So, you know, we, we do have free choice. And, um, but through the grace of God, I think, um, you know, there's this famous saying, a guy was on his house and the floodwaters were coming and, and, um, you know, someone comes in a car, come on in my car, I'll take you away from the flood. No, I have faith in God, he's going to get me. And then the water rises higher. And then a guy comes in a boat, come in my boat, I'll, I'll take you away. And, and he says, no, no, I have faith in God, I'm not going to come in your boat. And so he goes up on the roof and a helicopter comes, come, I'll take you away. And the floodwaters are rising, he says, no, no, I have faith in God. Anyway, the floodwaters continue and he drowns and he's up in heaven in the white light. And he says, why didn't you save me, Lord? And the Lord said, I sent you a car, I sent you a boat, I sent you a helicopter. That was your choice. <laughs> um, I look at life like that. Spirit will try to help us to try to point us in the right direction. But ultimately, we've got free choice. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think I agree. And, and I think you're right that people that have precognitive experiences and things like that it's it's like maybe the most likely or one of the likely outcomes but it's not set in stone it's not an outcome and i kind of see that you know more and more i feel that in my day-to-day -day life when something happens i'm like oh that could have gone so many different ways and this yeah. is the way it went and like yeah. I'm, I'm quite lucky with how it went you know um so yeah that that's that's brilliant yeah um two more questions for you that are kind of very quick questions well depending on your answers Firstly, I just wanted to know, you talked about your psychic phenomena earlier, some psychic experiences. Have you ever bent a spoon? No. No. Have you ever tried? No. Will you? Are you going to? Not interested. <laughs> <laughs> How come? Why not? I just, I, I guess because you don't need to prove anything to yourself. You don't need to, no. you know. For what purpose? If it would save someone's life, I would try to do it. Hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's just for me, it's it's just an interesting thing. And I've spoken to lots of people that have done it. And it's kind of, I guess, because it's a very visual, you know, yeah. way of these phenomena expressing themselves, I guess, in a way. Um, mm. But anyway, I was just interested to find out if you ever do Ben one, let me know. Um, and the other question I wanted to ask, have you ever seen a UFO or any kind of anomalous phenomena in the sky? A UAP? Yes. Yes. Would you mind sharing the story? Uh, if you, if Not you're... today. There isn't time. <laughs> <laughs> next time then. Okay. Whatever. We'll, we'll leave that for next time. I really appreciate your time, Yvonne. You've been really generous with that. I've loved hearing your experiences. You're really, really good at telling them and, and talking through them. Um, have you got any last words? A little message oh. you want to leave to anybody that's yeah, watched and listened? The final message that I want to leave people is never give up hope. Miracles do happen. And if I could be healed 12 years after a traumatic brain injury, just little old me, but you know, miracles happen to other people every day and miracle can happen to you too. So never give up hope. That would be my parting message. That's a, that's a comforting message. Thank you, Yvonne. Again, really appreciate it. And I, and I look forward to talking with you again. Okay, thank you. Thank you to Yvonne Kason for talking with me. Thank you to our incredible patrons for allowing us to do what we do. And thank you for listening. Please see the description for relevant links and more info. If you want to continue unraveling the universe with us, please subscribe. And if you want to help us keep making content, please consider a monthly contribution via Patreon. Thank you.